You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Becky and Susan from Florida. This episode features an interview with two-time Grammy Award-winning engineer Ann Mincielli. You can find us on social media, soundgirls.org on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and our website at soundgirls.org. Ann Mincielli is a renowned engineer, mixer, collaborator, and album project manager for Alicia Keys. The two-time Grammy winner has worked with some of music's biggest acts, including Mariah Carey and Jay-Z, among so many others. Mincy Elliott is the owner of Jungle City Studios, which is one of New York's most elegant and best-equipped recording facilities in the world. As a prominent leader in the music industry, Mincy Elliott has been at the forefront of the movement to restore Manhattan to its former prestige as one of the world's top recording destinations. Welcome in. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks for all you're doing to continue to push, you know, the next generation, right? Of yeah. emails into the industry. And I think, you know, it's a great time right now because now more than ever, there's so many support, so many, you know, ways to help and support, you know, individuals, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh one of the reasons, like, as I was reading articles and different things that I come across, I was reading stuff about uh, She Is The Music, you know, from you guys. And so we kind of want to dive into that a little bit, too. And just like, yeah, why can't we all join together and help each other out, you know, and let's push this forward. Definitely. And we're just getting started with She Is The Music. As you know, it's really hard to build a platform and an initiative from scratch. And we're just getting started and we're just building the network you know we wanted to build it right we wanted to do the work we didn't want it to just be like a hashtag and hey let's get let's get this started and no there's no we wanted to set it up with a proper foundation of you know committees and pillars and things like that that can and the support for each of those components and so I definitely would love to figure out ways we can partner you know, there's co-chairs to each committee. We have about seven committees across seven or eight different states. We have a Latin committee, a UK committee. We just unveiled the Latin committee and Mexican version of Vogue this month. So I think the beauty of it too is every component is different. Like we all have the same goals, but we all, you know, Sound Girls is different than Gender yeah. Amplified is different than She Is The Music is different than Women's Audio Mission and I think that, you know, we all can unify and help each other. And that's what it's about. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the things I love, too, is, you know, the unification of everybody. In, like what I see, like a lot of times people think it's a competition and it's really, really it's really not, you know, especially with yeah. she's music. We don't we don't want to come off that way at all, especially because we got a lot of people behind us in the beginning a lot of people felt threatened by us and they were like no we just want to do the work we're not out here we want to be forward facing and we want to be out there you know making noise but at the same time we want to be doing the work behind the scenes so yeah same with sound girls i mean that yeah. you know of yeah is uh like exactly that like i think you've been in the industry as long as i have 20 years yeah. so it's you yeah. know like i was told when i first started out you know, like, hey, here's this one girl in your sound class. She's your competition. 
Right. Because there's only room for one. And I was like, I remember thinking that way, like the first couple of years I was in the biz, you know, like, yeah. like if there was another girl there, I'm taking over, you know? Right. <laughs> so and for me, I wanted to be better than the guys. Like I played sports young and I think I learned that at a young age was like, I want to be as good as the guys. If I'm playing baseball or street hockey, I want to be as good as that. Like I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I wanted to be better than them, you know? Yeah. And I think I took that mentality <laughs> as I fell in love with the music industry. <laughs> How did you get your start in the music industry? I, um, you know, I was hanging out with some session musicians and I discovered the studio very early, like at the age of 16, I was playing guitar since I'm 13 years old and I'm, I write with my left hand and, I went into the store and there was all these guitars that were righty. You couldn't buy a left-handed guitar if you tried. So I was like, wow, like, what am I going to do? Because I want that pink guitar or I want that purple guitar and I'm lefty and I can't, you know, I wanted to be able to choose like everyone else. Yeah. So I just learned how to play guitar righty at the age of 13 years old. I remember my brother-in-law taking me to a store back here in New York and I just was like, well, whatever. I'm just going to learn how to play guitar righty then. So I, I'm not prohibited. Right. And that's how it started. I, my family always loved music way back. And, you know, my sisters really loved lots of old Motown and vinyl and playing music. And I just felt that music, I, I, I fell in love with music, you know, mm -hmm. people at a very young age, like the Pointer Sisters and Diana Ross and Barbara Streisand and yeah. the Screams and the Beatles and as I got into my teens, like Guns N' Roses and Bon Jovi and Prince was huge. And yeah, I started to love guitar because of all those folks like, you know, Slash and Prince. And I, <laughs> I um, at the age of 13, I started playing bass guitar and it just escalated. Like I started to play in a band and then a couple of my friends were session musicians. They would hit some of the studios in Manhattan, like Skyline and Marathon. And I was like, wow. There's a lot of people behind the scenes in the industry that do great things, that support the artists, work work with the artists. And I learned at a very young age that I wanted to learn it all. I was only 16 years old. This was 1990. And I wanted to learn everything. I didn't just want to do one thing. And in today's day and age, back then it was very like, okay, if you were the assistant, all you did was assist. If you were the general assistant, all you did was empty garbage. There was no you know, okay, that's not my job. Like nowadays, right. everything crosses over. Writers engineer, writers produce, producers engineer, engineers produce. Right. So I feel like my mentality from the beginning has helped me create the role that I'm in today with Alicia because the industry changed and my desire to always be a student of the game. But I started with uh, interning at Ma Marathon Studios, Skyline Studios, I started an internship for free. I, I worked for eight months and then worked my way up to paid being a general assistant <laughs> and assistant day tech. And then I was at two studios, Skyline and Right Track, for like a year and a half. Skyline closed, and I got a huge opportunity at Quad Studios where I stood for six years, and they renovated all their rooms. So in 19, the end of 1995, early 1996, I spent the next six years just really honing my craft, um, learning. Um, and, and along the way, I would not only work at, like, Axis or Right Track, but 
but I also would push myself to work at people's home studios like CNC Music Factory or, (laughs) you know, I would help SSL go train people on their consoles. And that was big for me when the J9000 came out, the 9000 in in 1995. And in 1995, the Quad was the first studio in the world to have one along with Right Track. We were like building these that like it was like the first version of these desks and we i remember upgrading the modules and the center sections and you know i learned a lot and quad got a lot of great gigs because of the redoing of their rooms and having three of those desks and the digital axiom at the time which was a digital desk way before it's time not to get too technical but um i stayed there technical (laughs) yeah I stayed there six years just learning everything, and it was a pivotal time, you know, locking three tape machines up, locking 3348s up, understanding clocking and code because you're working with digital desks. And then Pro Tools started coming around. Sound Tools became Pro Tools. Right. Same like Luther Vandross and Michael Beinhorn working with some rock bands, having a Pro Tools engineer on the side you know, comping vocals in Pro Tools and tuning in Pro Tools. And those folks would take, we do tape transfers at the end of the night from tape into Pro Tools. And those Pro Tools engineers would go and tune and time align things and comp things. And then mm-hmm. we'd dump them back. And all of a sudden the world started to merge from, you know, having to use tape to having to learn Pro Tools from those sessions of working with people like David Kahn and Michael Beinhorn and Frank Filippetti was we were listening to all these converters all day and all these clocks and really understanding how how the sound evolved digitally and what the converters were doing or weren't doing. They weren't good at the time or the clock was bad or the latency, the A to Z and Z <laughs> was so bad. So I've been here through the twists and turns and Quad really allowed me during that transition where the industry was transitioning, you know, like Artists yeah. were having more and more home studios. Um, and you went and worked with an artist, and it was like you were going to do a little bit of everything. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just an engineer and this is all that I do. You know, and um, I guess um, at Quad, I, w- I was introduced to so many sessions from Metallica to Bon Jovi to Mary J. Blige to Brandy to Pew. Mariah, well, I work with Mariah a lot, but, um, and that's where I really met Alicia in 1998. She was a writer and up and coming artist on Columbia at the time. And our relationship and working relationship, like our relationship grew and how we worked together grew through each year, you know? Um, so that's awesome. I actually just uh, read Alicia's book here a few weeks ago, you know, so like she's name dropping you, which I love uh, yeah. and, and just talking about like the process of how you guys got started and how Jungle City Studios, you know, came to be. Yeah. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit from your perspective about Jungle City and what I mean, because at that time, I can't imagine there were many women owned studios uh, yeah. or or anything even, you know, that was like you said, you came up in it, went over from analog to digital days and went through yeah. all the crazy of that. I I did that, but more in the live environment. Right. I'm a live engineer. So like that's that was crazy. Yeah. It's about the only way I can describe it. Exactly like what you were doing, listening to these and listening to that. And then now like, okay, where do I go from here? 
you know, and knowing that you could do that with your own studio, I imagine, is probably a lot of the thought pattern. Yeah. So if you, could... I, um, you know, I learned, you know, as a growing up in the industry, we all have visions and goals for ourselves. And I always had this vision in my head. If I could ever build a studio, what would it look like? Let me get the vision out of my head. And I visited many and worked in many studios around the world. You know, the routine when you're yeah. like, she travels a lot where, Oh, she's like art, like Prince. She's kind of always working. You know, she never, ever, ever stops working. And, um, I'm going to just mute my, uh, hold on. I'm going <laughs> to shut my dogs out. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. We have uh, we have dogs and cats on the podcast all the time, and a few birds we've had. So. Oh, nice! That's, That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, That's you can't you can't keep them out of it. They're just like, hey, so are you, are you so doing something hard. without me?" It comes right up, and like sometimes I have to put my screen still, you know, my still photo up. But um, I always dreamed of owning my own studio, and then when Alicia moved to Long Island in 2003, I had to convert this house into a studio and it was like when I first went there I was like why did you buy this this is like <laughs> a house it has low ceilings it has old gear like we could have knocked this down and built something from scratch that would have cost less so I started <laughs> to learn little by little about budgeting studios acoustics the first um, designer we hired really did it the wrong way and I learned what was right and what was wrong I learned what the coding was. We were at the building department each, <laughs> each week, you know, because the building was dual zoned. And if you put studios on all three floors, it had to be converted to this zone. So to get a C of O. So I started to learn without even real, without even realizing. And I learned a lot about acoustics, right? What worked and what didn't work in a lot of these studios around the world, you know, like, and from a designer standpoint, when you design, but you don't sit in the chair, you can be designing the world's most beautiful studio, but sometimes there's inconsistencies, right? You you know yeah. this. And going in venues and the acoustics are key and the flutter frequencies and the reverbs and the phasing and the filtering yeah. and what's hitting you and what's diffusing back to you. All of that type of stuff. And sometimes you go in these beautiful studios, but you have a lot of those issues where hi-hats you're sitting in the mix position and a hi-hat's bouncing off the wall and hitting you almost at the same volume in the mix space. And you're hearing this, like, so I learned all of that stuff. And I teamed up with John Stork, who was incredible at the time. And it was a pivoting time where a lot of artists were kind of doing their own studios. There were still big studios around, but Alicia wanted her own. She always had her own studio, even if it was in her Harlem apartment. You know, she always had a version of her home studio because... She's like Prince. She works 24-7. I can't yeah, say yeah. she's worked. Some artists will say, okay, I'm working on an album, and then I finish 20 songs, and I'm done, and I put it out. She's just working, and the songs go in buckets. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. I have this vision of if I ever did a Broadway, whatever, whatever. These are, like, she's just putting the songs in buckets. She has five or six different buckets that we put the songs in and sometimes one of the buckets is the vault because it might not, but a song could be incredible, but it might not fit the vibe of an album or the, the creative of an album. So, you know, I learned within those eight years, how to build a studio, how to have the connects, the designers, the gear, what's in the walls, what's outside the walls. And then 
at the end of 2008, I have a sister. She works at MetLife, and she, her and her partner at MetLife invest in lots of, like, businesses and fun businesses. And, and um, she's like, you should build a studio of your own. And I kind of was like, you know, that's always a goal, but when you think about it, it's a huge undertaking. And if yeah. I wanted to do it, I wanted to do it the right way. I didn't just want to lease a spot and have a bunch of space. To me, it was quality over quantity, right? I didn't want right. to have rooms and then worry about having to fill those rooms and the overhead being huge. I learned from the old studios that were closing. I didn't want to lease my, you know, consoles. And the good thing was the gear was much cheaper. It wasn't like I was paying a million dollars for old SSL that yeah. some of the studios did at the time, right? Like seventy hundred and fifty grand for a J nine thousand and um for myself, you know, um, my sister started looking for the real estate, and she's in, heavy into real estate. And um, if she found the perfect place, we would build, and she did. She managed to find the most incredible spaces, commercial condos in Chelsea, which was was just being rebuilt and renovated, which now is part of Hudson Yards, which it's That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, the galleries and all the the high line and you know so in my mind I wanted to be a destination type studio I didn't just want to know okay yeah New York is a hub for artists to be in and out of New York and LA I wanted to be a destination type place and I wanted it to be a work of art where we mixed gear and music and artwork and creativity and the 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 real estate itself had to lend itself to my vision and it really did if you come in jungle there's windows in every room and it's actually the opposite of what you know of a typical studio <laughs> which is this underground cellar right that yeah yeah we saw pictures enclosed. it's it's freaking beautiful in there <laughs> you know and and i didn't realize even when building it how much i did but even beyond like some of the shows like Ray Donovan and CSI that are filming or our rooftop and photo shoots. So I didn't realize how the space itself lends it to actually being able to book unique things. You know, I yeah. had Apple Music streaming in there for four years straight. We unveiled Apple Music to the world, really. They, we were their hub and their home. And people like Puffy would finish their record and go next door and spin it to the world with Ebro and Zane Lau. So Low. So, yeah, so cool. my sister who really found an incredible piece of real estate and we own the real estate, which is incredible. We're not just renting and having to pay. We're 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 reinvesting and owning and we're 10 years in and 2021 will be our 10 year anniversary. That's this so time, awesome. This time, 10 years ago, I was finishing up construction. Right. I was finishing up building and finishing up construction. And I put every piece of vision of everything I saw that I love from around the world into the place. And the most beauty of it is like the wiring and the cable all travel through underground routing schemes where you don't see anything. I try to make it a work of art, you know, and um, yeah, I hope I'm around the next 10 years. We opened at a time where studios were closing, where the streaming companies, the artists were not figuring out revenue streams. It was a dark time. If you look at the New York Times article yeah. that we did, 
was like, how are you even opening up? And it's been 10 years of constant being busy. Like from Ariana Grande to Depeche Mode, to Dreams Come True, a, a band from Japan, and people coming in and making the studio part of their album experience. If you look at Depeche Mode and Ariana, you see the studio a lot. And that, that was the goal. The studio was the album cover for Depeche Mode. And you know, artists being able to come from around the world and be being beyond just the tape machine and Pro Tools and a console, having the fun year. I have, you know, 22 old drum kits, new drum kits, 22. I have 40 snare drums, over 100 cymbals, every keyboard you can imagine. And Alicia has her private studio in there. So I moved her out of Long Island because two more <laughs> condo units became available that were twins to mine. And she took over the building splits in after the fifth floor, it kind of splits in two, like the architecture. Mm-hmm. She took over the same two floors as I, as I had. And uh, her studio is part of the community. And when she's not in it and she's on tour or she's not doing stuff in New York, I book it out, you know, and it's just an incredible community. I'm so booked, you know, that I booked her room became a great way to, keep my clients all under one yeah. roof. So, um, you know, we're getting through COVID things are getting better. And, um, I managed to survive through COVID. I had uh, my, my studios in commercial condos. I have underground parking. It's not in these big public buildings where in New York, some of them, who yeah. some yeah. people can't even get, couldn't even get back in their spaces. So I managed to tread water through COVID. And I really think that, you know, this is temporary. People are scared and I, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm scared too, but I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think come spring, come, come, you know, summer that we'll find ways and, and we'll, we'll be back on our feet, you know? Yeah. I would definitely say like, uh, if there's one thing I know about our industry, it's that we're resilient, right? So <laughs> we, we will find ways to get things done and, Creative people have to create, so there's exactly. ways that it'll come back it's some way, thing, somehow. Only too much, only so much you could get done in your house and in your bedroom. People yeah. want to get out there, they want to perform, they want to tour. Even even the virtual stuff, all being done from people's houses, literally. We got to get back to somewhat of, of the norm. We started to do concerts like Good Morning America outside in a drive-in movie theater, and mm-hmm. uh, James Corden and so. I think there'll be a hybrid and I think everything will get back to normal. You know, it's going to, going to be slow, but it's already improved. It's already improving. I see the, the improving and I see the the different ways that we all could connect with each other. Speaking of live, we were wondering, uh, we saw that in 2009, you mixed uh, the world series when Alicia and Jay-Z were performing. Do you mix live sound often or do you, was that like a special one off? I do a lot of the broadcast stuff. Okay. I do, and especially now with mm-hmm. COVID, where we yeah. did this, uh, on stage where we were live on Amex or we are on Amazon where we're live on Amazon. We're mixing right, you know, we had hubs in, in ca- like in California. We were in Jersey. We did the Amex. We had, we, we recorded it and mixed it and took it back and had a day and a half. So I've always worked with the broadcasters like with Billboard and the Grammys and sit in the trucks. And now you can't cool. sit in the trucks, you get little head stations, but I've always, <laughs> I've always mixed. I've always taken the stuff back and, and mixed it and made sure it was recorded, you know, correctly. And 
yeah, sometimes I do find myself even on tour sitting with the, the, the front of house guy trying to help Alicia, help Alicia translate what's on the album. And when people come to the shows, they kind of want to hear some of the elements from the record. I mean, you guys yeah. know that, like, you know, yeah. you just don't want a whole band and you, you know, so it's always a hybrid for her to use her loops and her samples and her live drums over program drums, her synths over live synths sure, and make sure. sure that like, and then there's some versions that are totally recreated, but a lot of the new songs, most, you know, we do it. The fans want to hear some of the elements. So I always wind up on tour as well, you know, um that's awesome yeah i as a live engineer i i love when i get to be able to talk with a studio engineer you know and the person who helped produce the album too so that i know how i can best translate the artist you know the way that everyone else hears so i I love that i love collaborating with the studio engineer as well just like hey wait how did you how did you come up with that you know For me to set you up with what you need so you know you can understand what the production was like or what how the balance would be does that make sense um yeah so and and how alicia envisions the music which you know is important you know and i love how far live the live show element has come you guys are using plugins now you're using you know the live version of the s6 from avid and you guys are using you know, I know a lot of people still use Digico desks. They're like a favorite, but um, at least you guys are using WavesGrid and some of the plugins can be, you know, we could dial some of that stuff in even using some of the effects, right? And that's what I love. That's what I use. And I try to think ahead too, like even as I'm traveling, like what am I going to find in every studio? Because I, I always have my rigs, but sometimes I can't. If I'm traveling and I have to go last minute, I might not always have my rigs, you know, like I shipped all my gear from New York to LA. We have duplicate setups and many different Pro Tools configs for tour, for broadcast, for recording. We have a rig on. We record all of Alicia's shows. So I have like a hundred input rig that just sits on the side of the stage. And I've got shows for days and days right. every tour. So, you know, depending on the config during COVID, we just shipped our stuff, our, our everything out and set up a house with three floors. And it was a combination of we were mixing live shows for TV. Like we were filming our, our video, our video guys, two of them were, we had our cameras, we shipped everything and we wound up doing a lot of really cool stuff in COVID. That was a hybrid of live and broadcast studio and broadcast, you know? So I feel like at this moment it's, it's, um, a little bit of everything and I have to wrestle with the frequencies <laughs> of IEMs and uh you know live show mics and now I've ordered yep. my I have an M eighty one wireless uh and I have short sticks and I'm I'm you know I just instead of renting them each time I bought bought four channels for our studio because we're doing content in the studio and it's so ugly to have cables. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like when you're doing content, you know, or you're doing this virtual stuff. So that's going on live on Amazon or live on Verizon pay forward. So I feel like the worlds are colliding, but that same M81 that you're using live is what I'm using too. I have an XLR version. You have a wireless version. So now the I feel like the worlds are colliding. I, I, I do too. I think, I mean, 
it's definitely like I'm seeing it on all the broadcast stuff too, and just kind of yeah. listening and watching everybody and seeing I'm learning cameras right now, which I've never yeah. had to dive into too much. Susan is a videographer. So uh, yeah. that's part of, part of that is my world is like, what I'm sorry, what I have to do, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? but it's, it's people cool. have it's... those expectations now. I mean, when you go to a concert like that, where it's not like a rock band that, you know, is acoustic or something, you expect to kind of get those those extra effects and you want the feel yeah. and you want it to sound really polished. Yeah. And so you kind of have to step up and make it sound as close to the record as you can. And I feel like I know the old pieces of gear too. Like I I know the the um you know the lexicons and the eleven seventy six all the gear that you guys are using live you know, all of the reverbs and delays yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's harder to match those than to just throw up a sound toys plug in or yeah, something yeah. like that. Does that make sense? And some oh, of those totally. it's, you know, so it's the best of both worlds. I love mic pre's and compressors. I'm sure you do on the way in, you know, like I love to use my needs and my APIs. I do feel like the Digico pre's are just too clean and, <laughs> and not warm so i try to find the best of of both of both worlds you know and and it doesn't matter to me whatever desk we're on we're on we 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 make it yeah, work you yeah. know but that that's exactly like what you just said we make it work man that's what we do right you yeah, know exactly it's uh, right like the goal is to know enough about gain stage and input and output and eq that you could get a good sound no matter what desk you're on, you know, and I know, I know that some, some front of house and and, and live show folks don't care. And some people have their preferences. I know that sometimes one of our guys is like, all right, we're on this desk. Let me just dial in what I have to dial in. You know, it's like, um, yeah, I think it's fun. I think learning all the worlds is, is key, you know? And um, I think the great front of house folks do that. You know, they learn, what it's like to understand studio gain stage and how we're doing things and to, to translate that live is key. Yeah, definitely. It's a whole different ball game for me. I mean, when I, the first time I mixed a, a webcast or something like a whole live band situation, I was like, Oh, Whoa, I've really got to pull back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I didn't realize, you know, like I can't, I've got to listen here in yeah. my head more than I have to in my body. And the too. game yeah. is so different. Like yeah. even when we're doing broadcast to TV, they want everything 10 dB lower. So all of your games yeah. pull down and it's like, whoa, you know, it's just a completely different mix. And to mix visually yeah. sometimes, you know, sometimes I mix where the musicians are on stage, right? It's not just this popped out mix of panning left and right. It's like, okay, the guitarist is here a little bit to the left. Let me pan him a little bit. And it's that visual, right? Like, okay, what are you know, you're in video. What it like I it's important yeah, for me to yeah. have the video because if a, a shot pans to the guitarist and he's doing a cool guitar line, you want to complement the visual and raise right. the up so there's that element too where it's like the worlds collide of like okay you're gonna her hands are doing these you 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 might be on you know pan to her hands on a piano playing a part I have to ride that up so it's understanding all of the worlds and and the compression involved with tv and the game stages and (laughs) where it's where it what you know where it's going so it's kind of funny 
that kind of just circles back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, you know, where it's like sharing our information, right? That's, yeah. we talk about that a lot on our podcast, how obviously you've, you're a studio engineer. That's what you're known for. That's what your Grammys are for. You know, I'm yeah. a live engineer, you know, there's Susan's yeah. a videographer, but at some point we've got to all come together and share all our information and just help right. one another so that the whole world can be more inclusive and diversified and Absolutely. enough of this BS of, like, <laughs> you know, let's stand on each other to get to the top. Enough of that, you know? Yeah, no, it's just not about that. It's just not about competition at all. People were really intimidated with cheese and music. And I was like, please don't get intimidated. We're here just to do the work and we're here just to help and to collaborate. And I'm just I think so excited when I see yeah. these new ones coming up. Like there, I've also seen like Audio Girl Africa and all of yeah. these other ones. It's so cool because I agree. It, the more it's worldwide, more of us are are. If doing we were helping work. one person out of all this, that's what it's about, right? Yeah. yeah. Connect the dots for people, and and you know that's that's one of the goals for myself is to help people connect the dots. How do they get from their bedroom or from school out into the world, especially now more than ever, and to let them know, to give them the guidance that, like, look, this is temporary. We've got to get through this, you know? I compare this a little bit to, like, when New York went through 9-11 and no one wanted to come to New York anymore and all the businesses kind of, we're going to get past that, you know, and it's going to rebuild again. So um, that's kind of what, you know, some people are, are really feel defeated right now and, it's like, look, I'm using the same gear as you. Like, you're using Ableton, and I'm using Ableton. And that's what technology has done. You're yeah, using yeah. the same stuff as I'm using. You know, learn how to use it. Keep growing. Keep learning, you know. So those are some of the basic things that I try to really focus on right now as people are limited to really being on lockdown in some instances, you know. So Yeah, definitely. Any uh, last-minute words of advice for our youngins coming up in the industry you know um for myself i'm just still a student of the game um just keep learning and working hard and really finding your passion really find what part of the industry that you really that excites you you know um there it is rewarding it really is you put in the time and the effort but there is there is a reward at the end of the tunnel, and I say just keep studying and learning the depth of every component of the industry. For myself, I'm Alicia's album project manager, album coordinator, engineer, and I've built that role for myself because I learned all the aspects of the industry, the business side, putting budgets together, helping understand the deals, and it's easy for me because I'm part of the sessions. I can help her understand and adjust the song splits and the credits and the so I say learn every part of the industry these days. It's not just one thing anymore. That's like an old mentality. Learn everything because as a great engineer, I can be a producer. As a producer, I can be a writer. And I'm still learning that myself. And and the, the industry has opened the floodgates in terms of there's no rules anymore. There's no hard like, okay, you're just an engineer and you're <laughs> just a producer. Learn it all. Get to a studio. Get to working with someone, even from a production team or a producer or a front of house person that can help you learn, you know, put yourself in those environments that are going to help you excel and learn and network. Network is key. You know, there's lots of ways to network. There's lots of ways to study. 
you guys have YouTube. There's lots of virtual classes happening all over. I see all these mixing, mixing, you know, um, Twitch events where people are on mm -hmm. Twitch showing how they mix. I didn't have that coming up. It was like I had to pound the pavement. I had to right. send my resume. I had to call studios. So there's there's a lot out. There's lots of information out there that can really help you grow right from your own home, which is incredible. One of the things yeah, coming yeah. out of COVID like didn't exist, and 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 now like it's incredible. I just did a class uh, with Berkeley Online, and I say learn, learn everything, whether it's playing an instrument, whether it's programming, whether it's DJing. It all is a big melting pot. You know, it all lends itself to another component of the industry. Work hard, um, study, be competitive, because when you put in the work and you do the little, I always compare this to baseball and Alex Rodriguez as like, yeah, you can hit the home <laughs> run, but you also have to do the little things right as an engineer. And sometimes it's not glamorous, you know, in baseball, you have to position your feet, right. You have to be ready with your glove. You can't be lazy when a ball comes to you, you have to run and charge for it. It's the same mentality. Do all the little things, right. That's going to make you a great engineer. And there's a depth to engineering, learn the microphone, learn the gear. It's not just about a sequencer and a software and being quick and tuning vocals. It's about under there's a creative side of engineering that I had to I had to develop for myself. I realized yeah, yeah. that Alicia was the type of artist and producer. That's the type of engineer I wanted to be, was the type of artist and producer she was. So find the people that you love to collaborate with. And you know, when you work hard, you're gonna get respected. Don't listen to the noise, you know. So that's what I would say. Don't listen to the noise. I like that. That could be a bumper sticker. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Anne, so much for joining us, man. This was awesome. And you're uh, such a wealth of information. It's amazing. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and respect what you guys are doing so much. So thank you for all you do. Right back at you. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank all right. You. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. The Sound Girls mission is to inspire and empower the next generation of women in audio. Our mission is to create a supportive and inclusive community for women, non-binary people, people of color, and all marginalized groups working in audio and music production, providing the tools, knowledge, and support to further their careers. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. You can find out more information on the website, soundgirls.org.